I feel like there's, I download <laughs> from Spirit World, from Anansi, like guidance, truly, like with my creation, like writing stories and like making performance installations. Honestly, sometimes I feel like the inspiration, it's, it's, it's too much like something that a Nancy would do. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beneath the Sea the Tree. I am Megan's baby. And I'm Sadna Fiati. And thanks for joining us again. Uh, this week's episode, we are delving into a Nancy story. Yes, I'm so excited. We have a wonderful guest and yeah, let's get into it. What you're about to hear is our guest, Daniel Ellis, reading from his play, Speaking of Sneaking. Me come here carried in story from Maroon Yard, while Saltfish sits on the counter waiting, waiting for bread and butter. Me reach here tucked in tails, with tall, small, tied toads stowed in Atlantic cargo. Me don't really mean... Me don't really mean what me about to say is true. It's true, only some of it. These are just some reasonings. If anything happened to sneak into your spirit or speak to your soul, let it come. Let it go. Let it come. Let it go. Let it come, let it go. <gasps> Speaking of sneaking, you saw them creeping. That, that looked like a general. Watch the shifting wheels. Try don't let them fool you, nor re-school you. Try don't get trapped in them entrancing gears. Them use them eyes to draw you in. Then use them words to make you spin, get you dizzy and confused. They'll do what they need to do. We're so lucky that we have the amazing Dan Jelani Ellis here. Uh, he is a fantastic performer, writer, director, and comes from a lineage of performers and artists um, from Jamaica and, and Canada. Um Danny, I had the wonderful uh, opportunity to work with you for the first time when we did To Be Young's Lukumi. Yes. And that's what I found out, even though I knew you before then, but like we worked together. And then that's what I found out your like intense and wonderful connection with Nancy. <laughs> so that's why we have you here. I talk about that. Well, when we were coming up with episodes, uh, what to focus on for each episode, and of course it was like, okay, do we dedicate how many do we dedicate to a Nancy? Because I would say mm. that's probably my first encounter with folklore and um, through elementary school. And um, so, of course, when your name cut up, I was like, wait a minute. This makes complete sense. So thank you so much for um, meeting with us and chatting with us. And, yeah, I feel like as a place to start... Um, I'm just so curious about your journey as an artist as well, uh, is where and when was your first encounter with Anansi? Wow. Well, thank you for that intro. That's so sweet. Um, it's funny how this is, you know, for audio purposes, but I'm like just feeling the, the, 
that feeling of like, you know, when people are saying sweet things about you and you're just feel the fuzzies in your belly. Um, so yes, where it's where and when was I, did I first encounter a Nancy? It's really hard to pinpoint like an individual event, you know, a singular time. Um, I feel like Anansi has just been a part of my childhood, you know, my youth um, for as long as I can remember. Like think about early, my earliest childhood experiences. I can also recall like Anansi being there. Um, mm. Yeah, from I was young, young, I will say, so I got, <laughs> when I was eight years old, I was in a performing arts troupe um and you know we would go there after schools and there'd be lessons and then we would perform around the island as well um this is when i was still living in jamaica and every year they would do like awards like within the troupe um it's funny we're talking about participation awards there were plenty <laughs> participation awards <laughs> you show up you get they ruined get us it. everybody they ruined us right as, i love how they make it our fault that we got the awards as if we were i didn't create them. them yeah we received like, them I was there and I was participating, so I will take the award. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. But there were additional awards too, you know, like um, there were different categories within the youth uh, because it went from six to like 18 plus really, or like I think 18, Ooh. but yeah, it was all kind of youth. So there were little players and then the big players. And I remember one year, it was my first year, I think, to like being an official part of the troupe because you can take lessons and not perform. But my first year in the troupe, you know, taking the lessons um, and then joining the troupe, I received the Anansi Award for singing or dancing or one of the forms. But I don't even remember which form, but I was so shocked that I was being recognized by these people who I thought were so cool. These are fellow art, you know, artists, grownups who are making a living being wacky artists. Um, and they saw that I was carrying a Nancy's spirit. Um, and I mm. cherish that award. I have it still like a trophy um, with my other things. And I think that moment for me is like, is etched in my memory because it was outside you know the, here are these people that i looked up to mm -hmm. recognizing that i yeah have a nancy's spirit or i'm see just recognizing something about anansi in me yeah um yeah so that's that's yeah. one memory i'll share <laughs> uh, what about when you say like having me a Nancy spirit, what does that, if you can like distill that mm. into a feeling or a word, what is that for you? Mm. Yeah. That's a great question. I, um, you know, we all know Anansi is a bit of a trickster. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> if you Google Anansi, like, and you know, Google offers the autocomplete questions. One of the top ones mm -hmm. is, is Anansi good or bad? question mark yeah. and there's something about <laughs> that like that energy of crookedness <laughs> this is a tangent but it's related I'm working on this like essay which might be a book that's in defense of crooked and like crookedness Ooh. because 
and this connects to Anansi because, you know, as a queer black man, uh, when I was a boy, <laughs> I knew I was, you know, queer, quite young. But I also learned and like internalized that this is not um, acceptable in culture, right? So I very early like adopted these ways to keep myself safe and to like receive love. Um, but then always felt like I was being crooked, you know, like mm. I have to like pretend, but it's, I'm receiving what I need to like survive. Uh, so that's what I, that's, that's what I draw from. You know, I call in Nancy, my patron saint for that reason. Like he, he's always a little bit crooked, you know, and like never <laughs> criminal, never like immoral. It's like on the, right. It's interesting. Cause it's, it's a spectrum. It sounds like the crookedness. Mm -hmm. Is that something maybe, so he's not, you know, out here doing major crimes obviously no. but i i do love this gray <laughs> that is the first thing that comes up in a google search yeah. is, hold is up it isn't that bad? bad and i think that's so you know when i did my uh google searching as well and the sort of top layer of things that you come into you you read is like the sprite malicious or kindly um who plays pranks and wisely directs affairs or you know, this sort of very, I always think, uh, I mean, just to be, I think it just needs to be said, William Shakespeare, clearly, like, there's these mm. these figures occur in many different folklores, for sure, um, and Nancy and, and um, the, those traditions and um, where that tale comes from. And so when you look at something like Midsummer Dream, I wish someone sat me down and was like, oh, Puck, that's a Nancy. Mm -hmm. I, that would have like clicked and made so much more sense and would have been like an entry point into, you know, a world that I felt very outside of. So I'm just so interested in, um, there's also something about like the physicality and the, you know, because the, do we have to decide whether he's good or bad? Is that something I love that you're embracing the crookedness of mm -hmm. it and kind of giving him the freedom to be both things, be neither things. Is that something you know, him as your patron saint that you're like, oh, things to live by or things to aspire by? Or just like, where does he sit? Like, is he someone that like watches over you? Is it something that you like, are like, oh, this is, I'm, I'm feeling, I feel like him or I feel like it or, you know, like yeah. the spirit of Anansi. Um, I feel like there's, I download <laughs> yeah. from spirit world, from Anansi, like guidance, truly, like mm. with yeah. my creation, like writing like stories and like making performance installations. Honestly, sometimes I feel like the inspiration, it's, it's, it's too much like something that Anansi would do. <laughs> um, so in that way, and then also like, as I said, like moving through life, like never criminal, but like, I need to creatively solve this problem. How am I going to do it? Mm. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> attribute it to a Nancy. Like, you know, the Jamaican archetype of like a Jinnal? A Jinnal? No, Jinnal. what is that? Yeah, a Jinnal is similar, like a, some like a car salesman, for example, or maybe not even ah. a car salesman, because I feel like a car salesman, it is, does go closer to the bad side of the spectrum. But a Jinnal, mm. I will say is 
someone who is a bit cunning, who will, yeah. who will like say something to you to get their own benefit. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Yep. You yeah. can jinnal someone too. Jinnal can be used as a verb, you know, like, okay. Um, which is like a Nancy, which again, like to some people, if you're receiving <laughs> <laughs> on the receiving end of that, you're going to be like, ah, you know, yeah, it might not yeah. feel so nice and you might paint him as like a malicious character, but the Jinnal is just trying to survive, you know? The Jinnal mm. needs to pay his rent, but, he needs to eat, like... Yeah, But you know, it's very interesting that, like, A, I'm so interested in our internalization through colonization of these binaries of good and bad. Mm. You know, Absolutely. is a Nancy good or bad? Why, why is it one or the other? Mm-hmm. You know, why do we always have to think in one or the other off on out mm-hmm. in good, bad, you know, when life is actually, f- there's so much more of a gradient, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then as well as just like the car, even the car salesman as an archetype. Genal. <laughs> <laughs> right. The genal yeah. and all of that, but yet we're charmed. We're charmed. Yes, there's a charm. And it's actually very powerful. Like I tried to do sales years ago and I was Ooh. horrible at it. What did you sell? Or, oh, I was trying to sell like, you know, Mervish subscription. <laughs> Remember I told you about that? Oh my God, I was horrible at it. Cause I just was like, okay, do you want it? You don't? All right, bye. And then like this, my manager who was like mm, questionable, she just was like, you don't sound confident. And I was like, I don't know that I am. Mm. And I also, some beneath, the lack of confidence is also just like, I don't know, do you want it or don't you? You know, <laughs> like, okay. But but the salesperson, sales is actually such a powerful skill to have. Like, I was trying to get into the mindset of it. Mm. I just wasn't. But, like, it's very powerful to be able to sell something to somebody, right? Like, you people yeah. who are able to do that well in capitalism get paid very well. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, and think of influencers. As, That's literally exactly yep, yep. what that entire like the industry of that people who make a living now making money being charming mm-hmm. and like hawking products like poutine slap you know whatever it whatever. is whatever yeah you know? and totally. i think there has to be something likable <laughs> about <tricks>. the tree <laughs> about the uh, car salesman about anansi like there is a charm yes. involved yes. i'm so curious yes. very much so do you do you attribute that because you said something that was so interesting with the, um, that it's like it's for survival mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. element of like charming for survival. I don't know. That to me is like, I mean, I think as performers too, <laughs> I yes, don't know, 100%. I can't help but to draw that yeah, our performers, right? We embody, you have to embody on some level the, the characteristics of Anansi of being charming, but also being, um, you know, being able to transform in yeah. different in different situations you know mm-hmm. it is tricky that's why people don't like actors i don't know, you I know don't, what I I, mean? they've been tricked too many times i guess those date actors and <laughs> what you share about working in the call center like the confidence that's so key too and like anansi is so confident you know this idea of right? faking yes. it till you make it like he's been yeah, faking yeah. it you know that's why he's always <laughs> making it like yeah that's such a powerful thing to call on because yeah yeah. And then mm-hmm. also, like, it's such an emancipatory figure, you mm-hmm. know, Nancy mm-hmm. in this, in the context, we can't divorce the context of colonization, um, 
you know, from the Anansi stories in the Caribbean because he represents that. He was like able to get around, you know, the colonizers and the slave masters um, who, <laughs> you know, and that and that skill, you yes. know, that yeah. that people have to develop is like, you know, is it good or bad? What is it? But it's important, yeah. you know, it's survival. Survival. It's shape-shifting. Yeah. Yes. Which yeah. It makes me, I think of also the way that um, language, like just patois and, and the ways yeah. where, you know, Jamaicans like folks just on plantations were able to it's like the the way that they're able to um use language as a way to okay and folklore and these stories to like pass along information that okay we don't have it written down but we can keep these in stories and pass these on and that is how these you know stories will remain um regardless and and almost be like indiscernible to outsiders mm -hmm. to slave masters being like um and i'm curious about there's so many stories it's actually very overwhelming so many <laughs> it's so wild yeah. and i'm just so curious if there are any in particular or like ones that are top of mind or images or you know there's yes. so many that are like animals there's so many with humans like it it knows no bounds and that's kind of exciting about it because it's like it means that everyone there's been it's almost like you have all the opportunities to like interface with the Nancy. Like mm -hmm. there are so many stories that like, I feel like so many more people, when you say that name, people are like, Oh, okay. Whereas when we said like, uh, you know, Sukuya or jobless, you know, it's like, oh, I think I, at least for me, you know, what's too, what's interesting to me is that I actually was thinking through my own connections to a Nancy and it's actually through my father's side more so. Oh. through the Ghanaian side mm. because yeah. Anansi goes from both West Africa and the Caribbean of course you know I mean? yeah like so he was the one I feel like who was really about the Anansi stories more so than my mother yeah and yeah I feel like if I'm thinking back especially maybe there was something about the 80s and the 90s where they were just like and Nancy for the kids you yes, know they were just I like, felt like lots there were lots of kids they were right? though in in Jamaica, sorry to interrupt you, but there yeah, was a Miss Lou, Louise Bennett Coverly, yes, which y'all know about, yes. beloved Miss Lou. Yes. Yeah, she hosted a TV program in the 70s into the 80s, uh, Ring Ding, and then it played on like, what do they call it, reruns in the 90s. Right. Um, but yeah, her whole program was offering the folklore, which she did throughout her career, which lasted decades. And she told a lot of Anansi stories, and that's how a lot of people were introduced to Anansi, like, in that time in Jamaica. Yeah. But, yeah, in the 80s and 90s, there was another, like, big rush, you know, of trying to yeah. keep it alive. Anansi lives in stories, like, oral tradition, you know. It's kind of incredible that he survived, you know, and transformed all throughout the diaspora. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is. It's fascinating that then that they stayed in West Africa too. Like they remained there, but then also that cross pollination that happens when people from the continent and from the Caribbean meet. I guess 
because that meets in me. Yeah, <laughs> the, literally <laughs> you and Buffy. Truly. <laughs> like, truly, is like the Ghanaian and the Trini. Oh, so, that's and so... my mom literally meeting my father in in Toronto. Mm. Um, yeah. And then that cross-pollination of Black people in, you know, in various diasporas, you know, yeah. and how, what happens, you know what I mean? How the how we continue to um, proliferate the stories and such and how we make those connections. It's, it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um but yes, it just, and I love, oh, I'm never, I'll never forget. I have to tell this story. I hope you won't be embarrassed by it. Um, but like we were in the rehearsal hall at Lukumi and we were actually, were we even just talking about Anansi? And we were talking about, cause we were really trying to, with that piece, part of it was like us embodying certain animals and certain spirits. And we were taught, I feel like we we're talking about Anansi and then like a little spider <gasps> went across the floor of the... Oh of the rehearsal hall like to daniel i swear <laughs> yeah towards you a little, right yes. towards daniel like yeah. we, he was like yeah i know this is my spirit here you know what i mean wow. like this is, this is you know and i was like yes we all just agree but it just was such a special moment because we were talking about it and there's like tiny little spider the synchronicity like right yes. across the, the floor it's like ah anyway <laughs> it's true the spiders do come to me i will share a story too i was working on a play called the Speak of called Speaking of Sneaking, which I wrote and Debbie Young directed, and it's a it's an Anansi story for like how Jinals came to be. We're talking about Jinals before, and we're workshopping the play, and I'm trying to figure out the ending. And <laughs> this is like tech week. <laughs> so it's opening in like a week and we still don't know the end of the play. <laughs> um, that's how it is <laughs> working with Danny. Uh, but anyway, we're trying to figure out the end of the play and I'm at the bus stop. I'll never forget in Scarborough, leaving my granny's house, going back downtown and a spider like crawled up my leg. And I swear in that moment, it came down, like I downloaded it and then, yeah, found the ending. But I find that Anansi's spirit like finds me in creative processes all the time. Mm. Do you feel like there are times where it's more like that such a vulnerable spot to be in the middle of tech? Uh, <laughs> and like cl- clamoring for like an ending of oh, something. Yeah. Do you feel like there are times that you can pinpoint of like, oh, when I'm open or, you know, when those moments of connection happen, do you feel like, yeah, like the, like the frequency or that there's just always present. Like it's something that doesn't ever leave you since it's. That's a great question. Yeah. I think it is about my openness and me being present to my surroundings, you know, and present to, the sensations in my body, you know, like what is really happening, the truth of what's happening. Um, And when I'm like regularly commuting with my ancestors and the spirit world in a meaningful way, then there's a download often. But when I'm like lost in the sauce and living my young, Mm -hmm. hot artist life, it is harder (laughs) to connect, you know, but yeah, when I'm in a good space, all of what I just described, then usually I see a little cobweb sliding yeah. down from the ceiling, you know, a little visit. <laughs> Before I forget, um, I don't know if it's appropriate, yes. but I'm going to ask yeah. all a 
question. So on my last trip to Jamaica, yes. <laughs> this is 2011. It's been a minute. I'm in the airport coming back, like from Jamaica to Toronto. And, you know, I'm in the gift shop doing the last minute scramble, grabbing things. <laughs> I know that well. <laughs> and, a little mug, a little shot glass. Oh, yeah. Exactly those two things. Um, and I see this book, Confessions of a Nancy. And so I just grab it quick. You know, the price tag still has the date, December 22nd, like 2011, um, $875. And I didn't really have time. I'm like, I'm in the airport. It's fine. So I grabbed the book, Confessions of a Nancy, written by David Brailsford. And I'm like, okay, it gave me pause. But I'm like, my name is Daniel Ellis. You know, if you see that written down, you wouldn't know it's an Afro-diasporic person. Right. So I'm on the plane now and I look in the back and there's a photo of David Brailsford in a bio. <laughs> I'll just read the first line of the bio. David Brailsford was born in Nottingham, England in 1930. And it's a white man. It's a white faced man. Um, and the illustrator is also a white man from Liverpool, England. And I'm like, okay, let me not rush to conclusions, read further and David has married, David, the author, is married to a Jamaican woman. Um, and he was introduced to Anansi through his family. And he's got a family of mixed Jamaican kids and is, like, actually connected to the culture in that way. But he himself is a white Englishman. Mm. Um, and then I started reading it, and I'm not a huge fan of it, frankly. <laughs> but it did, yeah, I was like just struck by this person who's not a part of the Afro diaspora who wrote a whole book called Confessions mm -hmm. of a Nancy. What do y'all think? What's your position on that? Like he's proximate to the culture, mm -hmm. but is not a part of it. Like, is this cultural appropriation? Like, what do you think? Well, well. well question, what is the book about too? So it's his... Yeah, like, is it stories like extracted is there some does it feel ex extractive while you're going through it is it um, so it's there it's called the confessions of a nancy and he he the conceit is because he realized that a nancy stories are falling out of the mainstream in jamaica so he wanted to like mm. bring them back mm -hmm. and he's bringing them back he's telling ancient nancy stories in his voice really and mm -hmm. with a few kind of, yeah, no, that's that's the essence of it. They are existing stories that he's like putting his spin on. And I think there are a couple that he's authored. Right. Um, hmm. But it's, you can hear the English voice. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I'm just frankly not a fan of the style of it. But then I, yeah, it made me think, you know, I'm like, is this cultural appropriation? This man has a book in the gift shop at the airport, you know, $875 in 2011, 875 Jamaican. Right. Yeah. So yeah. he's getting an income from this. Is this, yeah. Yeah. Where do you stand? What do you think? It's interesting. There's so many um, folklorists, American, British, one that pops up that mm. kept, because, um, and it's just because the collection, like there's, it's just, there's an extensive um, collection of data. Um, one that comes to mind is Martha Warren Beckworth, Beckwith. Um, and again, it's like 
notes on, you know, uh, Jamaican and Nancy stories and like throughout much of the Caribbean. And there's like, these are repeats. Like I, I encountered this when we were re- when I was researching River Mama. Mm. And so it's, there is something about it. You know what it makes me, how I can, what it, um, I compare it to as well. Um, the experience of like going through, you know, the ROM, you know, through museums and the role sometimes of um, anthropologists. Mm. And so going through these museums, I remember feeling this when I went to the King, like the big blockbuster King Tut exhibition that was here in like 2007, eight. And you go in and you hear like Harrison Ford's voice. Okay. <laughs> Harrison Ford is going <laughs> to welcome me to Africa. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Right. And so I remember going Indiana through Indiana Jones. Yeah. And I yeah. remember um, we were, this was during um, Raisin and Ensemble at B Current. And so Audrey, I remember Audrey, we, I think we all, a bunch of us went from Raisin the Sun and, and we went through with a few people doing this um, sort of outreach program, but almost like in like creating a response to that. And I just remembered feeling so angry. It was mm. so rushed. I couldn't even look at things. They like, you know, it, it, they, they squeezed in as many people as they, it was like the big blockbuster show. And so in digesting that and processing that afterwards with the group, it was like talking about, okay, on one hand, when would I have ever been able to see, you know, King Tut's tomb and get up close with these artifacts? And then I'm like, but they, I saw them for a second and they're not supposed to be here. Mm. <laughs> When, you know, such and such explorers discovered, discovered, discovered. And it was like these, hold up. The people who lived here knew those tombs were there and they knew not to disturb them. Grateful to have had that experience of like witnessing those artifacts or even for this of being like, okay, um, being able to read this information. But I do feel like now we have, it's almost like a different discussion. So like, yes, my simple answer is yes, it is. But I also can't untangle it from um, that there's something that I benefit from. Mm. Like, I still benefit from it. And I don't know how. And I think on a real level, like, I don't know how to, like, really sit with that. Mm-hmm. Because it's there. It, it's providing, a like, it's on one hand, yes, like, in terms of the blockbuster King Tut exhibition, straight up capitalism, the people who benefited from that are not linked whatsoever to the people where those things were extracted from um also sorry but there's no traveling exhibition of like queen elizabeth's you know dead did it did it did it like there's just this obsession mm. right of like going to the dark continent quote unquote retrieving articles like we can look at countless things countless things where people where things were stolen put into museums kept there for years people from that area family members or you know lineage or people from that tribe being like bring this back and then sometimes it doesn't sometimes it does um and i feel like it's the similar thing that's happening but it's orally and so it's like how do you bring something back then you attribute it to the people you got it from mm. you know and sometimes and you do encounter that sometimes with these some of these stories they'll say so and so's name from saint elizabeth you know and there'll be a tag but, and, and you can tell too, cause like they're trying to obviously capture the, the patois, capture the cadence, the rhythm. And there's, you know, I'm sure like in the book that you got from the airport, like there's obviously a disconnect. There is a distance to what they are able to, yes. you know, write down as the written word because they're, 
they're far away from it. Even if they are married into it, okay, so that's like maybe a step closer than, you know, someone else who, you know, is like, I studied anthropology. I'm going to get on a boat for a week. I feel so confused by it too, Megan, you know, because, yeah, I mean, I think there's a gradient of cultural appropriation. Like there really is. Like, as we said, binary thinking isn't... Mm helpful Mm -hmm. you know what i mean often because it's just like is it this or that well yes it is that is it the most harmful version of it no but it still is that Mm -hmm. um and i guess the fundamental question becomes how do you honor these stories without like benefiting from them or profiting from them which the author of that book is yeah and then also i feel like even just our consciousness as black people is growing um, because I have to say the Caribbean doesn't, they don't care as much about cultural <laughs> True Why am I thinking of Adele? Adele, I'm totally thinking of Adele and like, but, and just in general, it's like, what, what is that? Oh, okay. They're like, all right. right. They're proud, like, you know, they, to like see themselves. They are proud. Yes, and they're yeah. like, okay, this person's going to come. All right. Um, it's it doesn't resonate the same way that it does with us Mm. but so saying it's a different culture in the sense that black people are the norm so Mm -hmm. if someone is coming from the outside and doing this there it doesn't affect the culture as much because they have enough black people to tell these stories so it's not Mm. really like this person is taking a space of a black person you know what i mean at least not from their perspective but i feel like as time goes on you know we would hope that we would get to the space where they wouldn't sell that book <laughs> yeah <laughs> Even if we wanted to like, make it that like, it would be replaced by someone it would be yeah. that somebody would have a consciousness being like maybe yeah, we shouldn't search. sell books by white men in the airport uh, about jamaica you know what i mean and he wasn't even born there because no, yeah. there's like at least white people who are like jamaicans yeah right like he's not even that so just like okay so why why is this relevant why is this representing jamaica essentially you know just like "Mm, we have some questions about that and i think our consciousness is just growing and and evolving to be like "Mm, we don't need to do this anymore but then as you said megan the like both i mean thinking it's so deep though in terms of white the white gaze and the white recording of information yeah Mm -hmm. just that act alone that act alone how it trans has transformed the cultures because thinking of even in the states with musicologists who recorded people singing those blues songs and singing those work songs you know what i mean and then Mm -hmm. of course as you said like we can't every time we do the research on um all kinds of caribbean folklore from various different countries we will come across white researchers um, not very recent ones. I think it's slowly going out of style, but certainly from this 19th and early 20th century who were attempting to capture these stories. And of course, also brought their like gross um, colonized thinking in, mm-hmm. in terms of a judgment of how, mm-hmm. absolutely, you know what I mean? Of how yeah. these stories came to be or how people told them or sort of this, the life and culture of people um, in the Caribbean. So they, they brought that judging judgment lens to it but so saying yeah at least what's left behind is that we still have an essence of a story which you know we are still we're hybrid people who still we do read books 
as much as oral culture is still a part of our culture. Like both things are true at the same time. But yeah, essentially, I think I, my fundamental question is actually who curated that in the gift shop? Who was just like the buyer of that? Yeah, and was yes. like, oh yeah, this is the right Good thing mm-hmm. to put. Because like if it's in an, a bookshop in England, whatever, but like to put, to be in yeah you know to be in the gift shop and you the know Jamaican there's a bunch of others i can like the kingston airport i'm just like, yeah. like... <laughs> really they gonna get do this you, you know? <laughs> for real though <laughs> like... yeah no i love that question that's and it's it Such really was connected to you know like Sedna and i had sort of many discussions around like yeah i keep reading this you know and every time i google the name of mm. oh i found some book or article right you know and a lot of times I'd be like looking at this picture and I'm like, okay, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> Something I've had to like wrestle within myself and and let go of, but that there is, okay, what is the ultimate source? Like what is the like actual factual source of this folklore that I can pin my thing on mm-hmm. that I can then feel confident to then share and, you know, and realizing that, um, and and assuming, right? It's like this assumption that similar to like the news that it's unbiased to journalism. You know, it's that same way of like, oh, well, these are the facts and it's it's you know not clouded by any judgment. And then you read some of these words and it's like, oh, because of the, you know, the way the Negroes who uh, believe in ghost stories and this sort of condescension mm-hmm. that oftentimes accompanies a lot of uh, the way that is um, communicated in these writings and in these, in these stories, and even the descriptions of physically maybe of what some of these people look like or what their homes look like. Um, it's just like drenched in so much stuff. Yep. You know, the theory of history and like recording it is, yeah, connected to what you're describing there. It's that's, is so connected to colonization, you know, and like, they're approaching recording history with their inherent, like their, their colonial ideas. So Mm -hmm. uh, you at once like have this record from this ancient time, which is great. You know, you have someone who saw it or like experienced it and then noted it. But then you know that they have these colonial ideas. So it's like, yeah, you have to do this extra work of like picking out their their stuff that they're putting on and just like taking the fact. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's what we have to do as, you know, people from diaspora. Yeah. Until yep. there are those, it's like purely black academics, you know, that we can rely yeah. on. But yeah. Yeah. Until a black person's book is sold at an airport, you will not. <laughs> Can I just read this sentence? I, have I would love to hear this any is selections that me turn too. me away. <laughs> or I'm like, okay, stop reading here. Um, I had been reticent to write because I believe that I could only do a Nancy justice by penning his tales in the local Jamaican patois. But I remembered the last words that Anansi had said before I fell asleep. David, I don't care whether you're writing Patwa, English, Ashanti, or even Chinese, but please tell my story. So I will. Enjoy. 
And that is it. That's our episode. Yes. A huge thank you to Crow's Theater and Nightwood Theater for their support. And a major, major thank you to Daniel Ellis, our wonderful guest uh, for this episode. Um, make sure you check out the show notes. We will include all the information of where you can find what he is up to. Uh, also want to give a shout out to Alaska B, our sound engineer. And a reminder, if you have not already, make sure you like and subscribe. You can listen to the next episode uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. So that's Spotify, Simplecast. Amazon. Amazon. Apple Music. We're Apple there Music. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And rate us. That's another thing I discovered. Oh, yeah. There, you people are supposed to do that? Okay. say great things about how much you're learning. Yeah. If you don't like it, just don't say Don't anything. say nothing. We didn't ask. You know, we don't want you. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. <laughs> Remember what? Remember what your parents said. If you got yeah, nothing yeah, good to say, to just but, uh, and um, and definitely hit up our email address. We definitely, definitely want to hear from you. Um, and that email address is thesebatree at gmail.com. So T H E C E I B A T R E E at gmail.com. And again, that will also be in the show notes, uh, so you can check out that. And that's it. Bye.